Now we're going to have a, a little bit of fun this morning, so put your seatbelts on. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, it was read during the Old Testament passage, uh, Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 31. I'll be operating from Exodus 14, 21 through 31. Um, so if you want to keep a tab open for that, you're welcome. But I'm going to open with Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, and then we'll pray. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be holy and acceptable in your sight. Lord, we give you thanks for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks this morning that the tomb is empty and that death has been crushed under his foot. I pray that we'll take that to heart this morning, we will believe it with all of our being, and that we will look with hope toward the resurrection of our bodies in the likeness of your Son, Jesus, and our exaltation in Christ at the end of history on the last day. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Easter morning is one of my favorite mornings of the year. It's a joyous day on which we particularly celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Every, every Lord's Day is a celebration of that resurrection, but today is a little bit more particular. He was crucified for our sins on Friday. We heard that on Good Friday during that service. He canceled the record of debt against us. He nailed that to the cross. He was laid to rest. And on Saturday, consecrated the grave with his presence. And on Sunday morning, he rose again by the power of the Spirit. Death could not hold the Lord of life. The Bible speaks plainly about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. We have the gospel accounts which we just read this morning. We have the words of the apostles that confirm this glorious truth. We have eyewitness accounts, historical accounts that accompany the scriptures. But this word of resurrection isn't new. This word of resurrection, this word of resurrection was always told to God's people. We see echoes of this truth throughout the history of Israel, and this is because Jesus is the true Israel. All of Israel's history and life throughout the Old Covenant is the work and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul equates the body of Christ with the body of Israel in Galatians chapter 6. Think about that. Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. Jacob, or Israel, had twelve sons. The life of Israel in the Old Testament always pointed to the life and ministry of Christ Jesus to come. So when we look at the Old Testament through the lens of this Jesus, we can see that all of Israel's greatest experiences, including this Red Sea crossing in Exodus chapter 14, were describing the ministry of Jesus Christ. The exodus of Israel out of Egypt is just another one of those experiences. Exodus 14 describes the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh's hosts, and it is really a story about Good Friday to, good, to Sunday morning, to Easter morning. The sea is a representation of darkness in the deep, of the grave. Israel passed through the grave, and through that passing, sin, Satan, and death was swallowed up behind them. Christ Jesus, our true and better Israel, secured his victory over death 
through his resurrection. And on the last day, when his church joins him through that grave unto the resurrection life of Jesus, when his church passes from death to resurrection, death will breathe its last and sin along with it. That is our hope as a Christian. And there are many correlations between this Exodus event that we see here in Exodus 14 and the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we can often miss, and if you paid close attention you might have seen it, is the theme of light and darkness. Light and darkness. The Lord guides Moses and Israel through the night. It is nighttime when they reach the shore of the Red Sea. They are guided by the pillar of fire and cloud. And this same fiery cloud guarded Israel against the Egyptians during their flight. And it was during this night that Israel again reached the shore of the Red Sea and Moses was commanded to stretch out his hand so that the Lord would divide the waters for Israel's passage into the depths. Usually when we see paintings about the Exodus, it looks bright. Maybe a little stormy, but bright. It was during the night that the waters were parted. And it would have been a dark and scary entrance. It would have been terrifying to go in between those two walls of water. Now fast forward to the cross. From noon to 3 p.m., the skies darkened around the cross of our Lord Jesus. Death was coming for our Lord. But through his death, he provided a way for his people to pass through the grave unto eternal life. When our Lord Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil, Paul says, symbolizes the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. That veil was torn like the side of our Lord. Blood and water flowed from his side, inviting his people to be brought into the presence of God, covered and clean made new by his water and blood. A new exodus. Moses tells us more in Exodus chapter 14. Not only does darkness cover the earth and the seas part like the temple veil, but it says that God looked on the Egyptians through the fiery cloud. The passage of Israel through the depths, through the watery grave, has turned into fiery wrath on their enemies. We can see the same kind of judgment on God's enemies on the cross. The Jewish authorities and the Roman state drove Jesus to his death, to the darkness of the cross and to the grave. But through that heinous act, they heaped God's judgment on their own heads. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. His death becomes their judgment. For Israel, Pharaoh was the oppressor. Pharaoh was the Satan. And the Egyptian nation was the slave driver who dealt harshly with Israel. And they were not only enslaved by Israel, but they suffered at the hands of them even more than that. They were killed by them, their children slain. To Israel, Egypt became to them Satan's sin and death incarnate. And death pursued them as far as he could go. Death does the same thing today. He pursues us and doesn't let up until he has us. That is the reality of life. Death pursued Israel even to the depths of the sea, and our Lord delivered them from death's grasp 
by first crippling death's power, by breaking the wheels of his chariots, and then finally overthrowing death altogether, swallowing death in victory. The Lord's death was the first crippling blow to death itself and to the powers and principalities of this world. And that first blow would secure its fate at his second coming. Christ's death on the cross knocked off the chariot wheels of Satan, putting him to flight, death and all. And the whole of Christian life can be summed up in this sort of Red Sea theme, from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday. Our Lord Jesus has gone before us, has died so that we might die to sin, was buried that we might be hidden with him in God, and has risen from the grave so that we might be raised in him unto life everlasting. And we can see this very same truth in the Christian journey. We saw it here this morning with baptisms. Through the waters of baptism, being united to Christ in his death, being set free from the bondage of sin, and then through the new life that we have by faith in the Son of God. Jesus leads us through the watery grave, drowning Pharaoh's host behind us, and brings us to the fear of God and trust in him. And finally, we can see that this truth of the Red Sea crossing in the history of the church and in the future of mankind. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that knowledge will be a condemnation to the unrighteous, to the wicked. But it is a safe passage for those who fear the Lord. And through those waters, the world will be resurrected. The resurrection of Christ not only secures our resurrection and loosens death's grip on each of us, but Christ's resurrection drowns death by death so that all of creation is perfected in the risen Jesus. That is the good news of not only our own souls, but the world around us. Israel's passage through the sea was a true deliverance for the people of God, which caused many to fear the Lord and to believe in the Lord and his servant, Moses. But Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the greater Moses who has gone before us. He is the greater Moses who obeyed his heavenly Father even to the grave. Our Lord endured the darkness of the cross for the joy set before him in the morning to come. That joy that we get to participate now as Christians this side of the resurrection. Moses and Israel did the same. Again, it takes faith to walk through two walls of water being pursued by people who want to kill you. That takes faith. It takes faith to trust that the Lord will keep you in your death on your last day and bring you safely into the presence of Christ. That takes faith. But the resurrection of our Lord Jesus is the surety of that faith. It is the surety of our deliverance, the assurance of our resurrection in Him, and the promise of our exaltation on the last day. And that promise is given to us in signs. We have His Holy Word. We have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. If you think about all of these sort of signs and, and seals that Israel received in the Old Testament... The, the, the pinpoint, the crux, you could say, of all of those signs that Israel received of God's deliverance for them is recounted in the Red Sea crossing. 
The Hebrew calendar would revolve around the events after the Exodus. The Exodus was the foundation for their whole life, for their very time. All of Hebrew life hinged on this one event, and they would remember that God was the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That is written over and over as a reason for their laws. It was the reason for their obedience to the Lord. It was the reason for their love and faithfulness to God. Because it was their deliverance and it was their salvation. But the Lord has given us a better son. He has given us a better salvation. And he calls us to remember it often. And this morning we get to remember it through the baptism of others. Remember your baptism. The darkness and bondage of sin was swallowed up through, the, through those waters. The darkness of sin and death gives way through faith to Easter morning when sin and death are defeated and reign no more. Our Lord's body was torn on the cross so that we might be clothed with Him. Baptism points to this. Blood and water flowed from His side so that we might be washed clean and set free from our sins. Baptism points to this. Baptism is God's gift to us. It's an assurance that God gives us, a pledge, a promise to us. It is an answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is God's sign to us like the Red Sea was to Israel. But it is also our answer back to God that He has promised Christ and all His benefits to us. All we must do, and this is simple, all we must do is fear the Lord and trust in Christ. But this sign, again, means nothing apart from the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from the resurrection, this sign is useless. Without our Savior's resurrection, we are buried under the sea of condemnation. And there's no way out. We are swallowed up in death. Without our Savior's resurrection, we have no way out of the grave. Without our Savior's resurrection, we have no one in the heavens to advocate for us. We have no one at the right hand of God ruling and reigning. No one coming again to bring us from the lowliness of death to the heights of glory. No one to judge death and sin. Without our Lord's resurrection, in other words, we have no hope. But as Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christian, Paul tells you that you have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Colossians 2.12 He also tells you that you have been united together in the likeness of his death, and that you shall certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that you should no longer be a slave to sin. Romans chapter 6. Israel was brought out of bondage into a new life. A new life. They tossed the leaven of Egypt out of their, out of their midst. They became a new nation, a new people, a new kingdom of priests. And they journeyed to sit at the table of God on His holy mountain. That is our journey as well. 
The resurrection of Christ means that our lives are new. That newness requires something of us. Colossians chapter 3, which was read this morning. If then you were raised with Christ, and Christian you have been, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. So our new life, our new life that we have received in Christ, that old man is crucified with him. And we are hidden with Christ in God. Our new life demands our obedience in mind and body to the one whose body was torn so that we might be safely brought into the divine life of God. It requires obedience to the one who went through the darkness of the grave so that our enemies, death and sin, might be put to death with him. It requires obedience to the one who conquered the grave so that we might share in his victory forever and ever. So our response to this glorious truth, this Resurrection Sunday, is simple. We must follow our Lord from death to life. So what does that look like? It's easy to say those things, follow from death to life, follow him wherever he leads. But what does that look like? Well, Exodus 14.31 gives us a glimpse of the first step. The first step in following our Lord in salvation is to fear him. Our enemies, our enemies are scary. Sin feels far more powerful than we are, because it generally is. And the darkness of death itself is terrifying. But to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord is to know and to believe that there is no other path but our Savior's, which leads to death, or which leads to life, and away from eternal death. His fiery cloud of judgment is far more terrifying than any darkness this world has to offer, than any painful cross that we must bear, than any social or personal pain we will or could feel. Christ's yoke is easy, and His cross-shaped burden is light. So fear the Lord above all else. Any knowledge about the Christian life first begins with fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Colossians chapter, chapter 3, we see two more steps. Two more clear instructions in light of the resurrection. To seek those things above, and two... To put, death, to put to death our members which are on the earth. To seek the things above and to put to death our members which are on the earth. All good gifts come down from the Father of light. Even the Israelites, as they passed through the watery grave of the, of the Red Sea, they received the heavenly waters from above. Psalm chapter 77 tells us that the clouds poured out water as they crossed through dry land. Because of this, Paul can say that this crossing was a baptism into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All good gifts come from above, so set your mind on those. Paul tells us that a mind set on things above is a mind that is spiritual. A mind that is spiritual. And those with the mind of the Spirit will live according to the law of God. There's your instruction. How do you set your mind on things above? You live in obedience to God's law. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. Israel was brought out of the house of bondage into the life of God. Brought out of something and into something. We're not brought out of something into some limbo period where we aren't accountable to anybody. That's not true freedom. If you are in Christ, and if you are a Christian, you are. You are to live unto Christ. You are a new creation, bought with a price, and the new life that you live is not in bondage to your flesh, but to life and to godliness. So set your mind on things above by hiding God's word in your heart, by meditating on the scriptures, meditating on God's law, hearing the, the word of the Lord, reading the Bible, singing the Bible. Be men and women of the scriptures. It means like Israel, receiving the word, vowing to uphold it, and then being bound to it. Vowing to uphold it and being bound to it. There is no life apart from the ways of the Lord, only a watery grave of judgment. And finally, finally, we are to put to death our members which are on the earth. Paul makes it clear that those members that he is talking about are all of the things that characterize evil nations like Egypt. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, and lies. Those are the members that we must put to death. Let those members be drowned and die in the waters of your baptism. Let those members be nailed to the cross of your Lord Jesus Christ. Let those members never again control your heart, mind, and works. And instead, Paul says, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Know the scriptures and apply them to your life. Christ is all and is in all. Instead, put on tender mercies. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with each other, forgiving one another. And above all, Paul says, love one another. Put on the love of Christ. And that is precisely what is displayed in God's mercy shown to Israel. The love of God to his children. And that is more abundantly expressed in our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. He put our death, or our death, he put to death our sins. You can try that again. He put to death our sins on the cross. Show that same mercy with one another. And we see this throughout the law of Moses. The reason for our mercy toward one another. Why is it that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves? Because our God has brought us out of the land of Egypt. Our God has been merciful to us. Our God has brought us out of the house of bondage. We are no longer slaves to sin. Christ's resurrection secures that kind of freedom. It secures that victory over that tyrant 
death, sin, and Satan. Our resurrection in Him at the end of history will put to death death itself once and for all. That is the hope that we long, to, that we long for and that we preach. That is the hope that we preach to one another, that we comfort each other with. That is the hope that we receive and experience in Christ through His graces and His Word. That is the hope that we are called to invite one another into. So my exhortation for you is clear. Remember your baptism. Remember that this new life is for the benefit of others. That you have been brought from death to life in Christ. For the glory of Christ and for the good of your neighbor. And remember his great mercies that he's shown to you. And believe his word. Seek those things above and put to death what our Lord died to free us from. And looking for the coming of our Lord again and hope of the resurrection when the sea will give up the dead along with death and Hades and death will be cast away forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.